Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne Highlander and Rob Johnson. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager, Bone Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Boner Training. How are you doing today, Rob? Pretty good, Wayne. How are you? I'm doing well. So what number What number episode is this? Oh, I don't know. You know, you, you lose count after, after 50 51? or something. 51? 52? I think we're at 51. Yeah. 51 or 52? So, yeah, we're coming up on a year, Rob. And uh, I started thinking, you know, how many years? Have you added, have you ever added up how many years you've been in the floor business? All all told, your your sales career and your your career doing floors is contract and everything. Well, I, you know, I was doing it since I was born, but I don't count it. I officially got my first H. A. Johnson and Sons paycheck in 1976. So that's when. That's when I really think that I started. That was uh, 76, so it was, holy crap, 44 years ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Uh, this is my 40th year. Wow. So that's 84 years between us. I, th I thought I'd pick your brain, but I'm, I'm afraid you go, nah, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, the. Just like in the pre-production meeting for this show. So what would you tell your 18-year-old self? I don't know. Not much. Yeah. He was a goofball. I thought we would talk about that, of, of, the, of the things you've learned along the way, Rob, the most important lessons you've learned along the way in those 44 years. And if you did have a, if there was a young Wayne Highlander, God forbid, 18-year-old kid standing in front of me or a young Rob Johnson, what would you tell him that's getting into this business today? So I thought we'd start with that. And before we do, I got to ask you a question. What do you think are the, are the best earning potential years of your career? At what age do you think, all right, I'm up, I'm humming, and, I, and I'm really, now this is where I'm really making the money? Is there an answer to this or is this a personal or? No, I'm, 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 I'm asking your, your opinion. Um, I would say in my 50s. Yeah, well, that's a little bit later than we 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 would hope. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's what Pauline thought too. Yeah. Mm hmm. I, I'm. I thought about this uh, this morning that, you know. You it's you learn a, a you know especially as a contractor there's so much to learn you know you got to buy equipment you've got to you know there's a learning curve and and all these things that so by the time you finally get to your earning potential, you know. A lot of times guys are like late 30s or 40s and then that and then how long do you stay in that zone where you're making money like that like i would say the last 10 years of my career i made the most money as a contractor okay so that puts me at what 40 years old okay and but that that the business part of it you got you're dialed in you know exactly how you want to bid these jobs you know which ones to take which ones not to take you're you know in, and um you're in that zone of of making the most money in your career but what if you could get to that zone much quicker? And what if you could stay in that zone a lot longer? In other words, we talked about you know, how, how tough this trade is on your body and, and some of the new technology out there that you don't have to be bent over all day. You don't have to be bent over an edge all day. You don't have to be on your knees as much. You can stand up. You know, you're not taking as much toll on your back and your knees. What if you could stay in that zone longer? And what if you could get to that much quicker? And 
maybe take some away that learning curve that 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 we've gone through and other people have gone through and i think that would be maybe uh, good for some of our, our listeners wow this is deep this is uh this is deep all of a sudden i'm gonna give you a bell there you go you're making a lot of sense you're right it took so long to learn how to make the money yeah now if we could just get there a little quicker that earning potential would be go a lot longer. You'd make a lot more money if you could start making more money earlier. Yes. So I'm gonna I'll go first. So what would the number one thing that I would do if I was in this trade starting from the beginning? And it's funny because I've talked to a lot of guys that towards the end of their career uh, will say the same thing. Man, if I only knew what I knew now, what I would have done differently, or how it may have changed the course of my career. The number one thing that I would done if I was a, a young guy starting out is I would find a mentor, a business mentor, someone that understood numbers. Um, you know, there's a lot of retailer guys that maybe towards the end of their careers, or there's there, there's guys out there. You know, there's other there's 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 ways you can get a hold of these people that then use as mentors and find out how to bid jobs and what are you actually making on a job? You know, in, in, in your profit and loss statements and you know, as they say, the devil's in the details, right? I mean, you know, with workers' comp and payroll taxes and inventory and stuff like that, if you if you could get a handle on this much sooner in your career, because I figured it out. I mean, no question, we figured it out. But but how many years did I have it not figured out that I thought I was making more money than I than I was that that the, the what I was charging wasn't enough to cover, and um, you know, I was charging when I first started out. And this is funny to me, uh, Rob. I wanted to get to two dollars and seventy-five cents a square foot, because that's in my, that's what my uncle was making, and he had been in the trade for forty years at that time. And I thought that's the big guys. That's what they're making. That was in nineteen, uh, I guess it was like nineteen seventy-nine. I mean, that's what the that's what the guys were, you know. So in my mind, if I got to two seventy-five, that I was established, right? I was up there where I should be. Now, keep in mind, that's $2.75 a square foot to Santa Fe finish in 1979, okay? Um, but that wasn't, that's not a business decision. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no, uh, yeah, that, that really makes no sense when I look back. I mean, that, my, that, that was just a number that he was making. But, you know, my, my overhead versus his overhead and, and my expenses versus his, and was he really making what he should have made? So if I think having a business mentor uh, and I know actually guys that have business coaches. I know a guy that flies to uh, to uh, other side of the country twice a year to talk to a business coach uh, about his about his business and how to get more out of his business and and what have you. So that would be number one for me, Rob. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm looking at all mine. I think I think mine would have been personally. I think mine would have been. Uh, it's okay to work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of grew up, my family, you know, we had the family business and man, I can remember, you know, just sitting around the dinner table, listening to my father talk like uh, never, ever work for <laughs> anybody else. Okay. Always work for yourself. Never work for anybody else. And me personally, you know, I, uh, I've done great working for other people a lot better than I did working for myself. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love 
the floor business. I love it. I mean, I'm doing exactly what I've wanted to do since you know I was a kid. I am living my dream, okay? But when it came to the business side of it and running my own business and taxes and insurances and everything, it just, you know, I wasn't good at it. Uh, I had issues with it. And I don't think that all of us are cut out to to own our own business. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I had to get over that whole, I don't know what you want to call it, mystique or something. I mean, you know, when you get something pounded in your head your entire life, and then I, I just remember it was because I had a conversation, you know, because my brother, he's working for somebody else. And he said, it's crazy, isn't it? How we were really brought up and what we got put in our heads. And I'm like, no, I, I do much better working for somebody else. There's nothing wrong with it. You can excel. You can, you know, be very happy and content and make plenty of money. And, and you know, I think you and I both see a lot of uh, a lot of businesses out there that need excellent guys you know they need a number two guy it's okay to be the number two guy not everybody has to own their own business because there's a lot more involved with owning your own business than there is just to being you know a quality floor mechanic yeah i actually think that is really really good advice rob um and i couldn't agree with you more i feel like a lot of guys feel the pressure to go out on their own and what have you and um you know it's when you look at, and if you look at the reason that guys go out on their own, you know, a lot of times the most common response is, well, I'm doing all the work. I'm, I'm a great floor mechanic. I'm a good installer. I can sand and finish it. I'm, you know, I'm the best guy around here sanding and finishing, which as you know, it takes sometimes a, guys a long time to realize is that that has nothing to do with being in business and, and being a good businessman. They're two, two different hats all together. Some guys would rather be a great craftsman and get their joy and their satisfaction out of that. Uh, some guys are great business people. Uh, some of the most successful contractors I've, I've ever met don't know anything about floors, but they're very good business people. So you're right about that. There, and there's no shame in that. And, and, and I think um, I, I've said, I've met many, many guys that I, I've, I've come away thinking that they would probably be better off if they were working for somebody else. Um, because it is, it is one of the toughest things to do is to run your own business. And I'm not make, making a knock, and I don't have a judgment either way. Some guys are suited either way, and whatever, whatever, you know, what you vote. But running a business is one of the toughest jobs you'll ever have in your life. You know, I remember when I used to have the answering machine uh, ring at my house. My business phone was in the next room, was in the bedroom. I couldn't walk by that room without looking at the answering machine. <laughs> this is back in the old days. If it rang, I couldn't stop myself from wanting to know who was calling or maybe it was a problem or maybe it was a job or maybe someone's trying to get a hold of me. This is before cell, cell phones and, you know, uh, all that technology. And, you know, you, I couldn't separate myself from my business. In the end, that was, uh, I always talk about this great book that I read, uh, the E-Myth Contractor, E-M-Y-T-H Contractor, and the author is Michael Gerber. It's one of those books that uh, really, really it was an eye-opener for me, more so than any other book I read about this business. Being able to separate yourself from the business, I think, I think is very tough to do. So owning your own business is a, a lot of guys are just not suited for it. There's not a damn thing in the world wrong with that. Being a, you know, and also let, it frees you up to do what you got into this trade to do, is work. Get behind that sander 
and uh, or do the installs and stuff like that. So good, good point. I couldn't agree more, Rob. I'll tell you what my number two would be. And when we talk about the learning curve in this trade, I would go to every single NWFA school and I'd start with the inspector school. Even if I have zero desire to be an inspector, I would start with that school because that is the best class I've ever attended in my life. It wasn't fun. There was no part of it that was fun. I mean, uh, the other NWFA classes and, and certainly going to the bonus classes in your class, Rob, you know, at the end of the day, it's fun. You're having a beer. You're having a laugh with the guys. Well, this was all business. And I, and I was trying to, you know, I had a study and what have you. So, but man, what a learning curve that would take off of the career of, of guys. And, and, and also the expert classes, the, the, every class, the intermediate class, the beginner class, all these things that would take someone many, many years to learn on their own. By going to a school and investing in a week's time at a school, man, it can, it, it can make yourself so much more profitable and uh, take a, a lot of years and headache. Like, I, I could get there. You know what I mean? Like, say it's a herringbone floor and it's a radius, whatever. Even that he's a young kid, I could get there. But how long could I have shortened that learning curve by, by learning from some of the best guys out in the field? So uh, by, by a landslide, as much education as you can get. I've gone to your, you know, I've gone to your class even before I went to work for Bona. And I think I've gone to the Bona class three times, twice before I ever went to work there. Any little tidbits I could pick up of information was like putting money in the bank for me. So attending the classes is huge. Absolutely. Uh, another one that I'm going to tell my 18-year-old self to buy every piece of equipment and tools that you see and comes available that you can get for this business. Too many times people are in a jam and then they have to go buy something or they're in a, a breakdown situation and it's just because they didn't have enough equipment, don't have enough tools. I can't stress starting that collection, especially when you're young. It's a lot easier to buy those tools when you're, you know, in your teens and 20s before you start getting a house, family, business, and all that stuff. And now everything is a, you know, going to be a huge investment and a pain in the neck. But when you're younger, you get all that free money floating around rather than buying hood scoops and mag wheels, you know buy some equipment. I mean, that was one of the things I did. Um, I bought a set of equipment. Uh, there was an old timer who passed away and I bought all of his equipment. I don't know, like a thousand dollars or whatever it was, but it was amazing having just, you know, old pieces of it, old edgers, old buffers, old drum sanders and everything. But man, it was a great way to start my own business when I did leave the family business, but we were never short. We always had you know, plenty of equipment, and we kept adding to that as we we're going. So when you see something and you're thinking to yourself, geez, should I buy that? Is that going to help me? Like, absolutely. Purchase that equipment now. Buy the best tools that you can buy. Um, and I'll, I'll, it's funny because I bought a compressor recently, and I don't do floors anymore, but I got to do my own floor upstairs. I, I'm talking about that. But, um, and it's, it's, it's a cheap compressor. It's not one I would normally buy when I was a contractor, but yeah, I figured I'd probably only use it for one job. And I still regret, regret buying that compressor. To me, you know, the, the tools that you buy uh, that make your job easier and faster, more productive are well worth it. Uh, uh, you know, good routers, good machines, good, good chop saws, table saws, everything. Uh, to me, I would, I would always buy the best equipment I could possibly buy. 
Oh, I had that up really high. The other thing is, uh, Rob, I would tell myself to take off more time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I worked way too many hours in my life. I mean, I've, I've gone months on end without taking days off. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure all my job started on time. If I told a man my job was going to start on time, I don't care what's going on in this world. That job would start on the day I told him it would start. And it would end on the day I told him it was going to end. I, I came out of uh, knee surgery and uh, had my wife drive me straight to the job site um, just to make sure it was all lined up right and everything like that. So um, 100%, I would, uh, I would have uh, taken off more time. You know, you just said about buying quality equipment. I know we're we're going to backtrack a little bit here, but just think of a, a young guy who's getting into the business and, you know, some of the purchases that he buys is a power scrubber or a power drive, all game changers, all huge ways to separate yourself from, you know, the other guy down the road. I, I can't stress enough about purchasing equipment and what it can do for your business and what it can do for your future. I mean, imagine starting out with those pieces right there. Imagine if you had started out with that. Uh, how many surgeries have you had? Yeah, uh, eight. Yeah, knee surgeries. You're yeah, up there. you're you're in evil <laughs> can evil territory as far as surgeries are going. You know, just things like that that would save your body. And the other thing, like you were saying, is finding that curve quicker. You know, yeah. with the right equipment. And starting to earn that money a little bit quicker, faster. Yeah, it's funny when I first started, I, I couldn't afford a buffer. Uh, I had a I had a, a drum sander and an edger, and we buffed by hand uh, until I could afford a, a three hundred dollar buffer when I started. So um, you buffed it, everything by hand. Buffed by hand. Yep. And um, so, probably, so when probably, the Karate Kid came, when the Karate Kid came out, you were like, I am not watching yeah. this movie. This is like going to work for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, it's an investment in yourself. Buying the equipment, um, uh, to me, it always pay for I remember talking to my father-in-law who, who had a lot of money. And he, he had a lot of money because he never spent a dime. So he couldn't understand it when I'd be buying all this, all, all this equipment and everything. And how, well, how much does that cost you? Well, how much does that cost you? Well, listen, I've made money in my life because I bought the equipment. Um, and it was brings me kind of leads me into my next thing is that I would have told myself at 18 years old as a young kid, uh, charge more money, charge more money and, and get as much as you can out of these jobs. This ain't a hobby. This is a hard job. And I remember being a young kid and a contractor telling me, and I, f I, I fell for it once in my life, Rob, you know what? I know this job sucks, but you get past this job. I got a really good job for you coming down the road. You know, how many times you heard that in your, in your, in your life. Right. And, uh, one time I fell for it and I wrote that down. Don't ever, that don't ever fall for that again. Um, but charge, charge money, charge enough money. Don't be afraid to, uh, you know, be confident that you can charge that kind of money, uh, because you deserve it because there's not a lot of people and there's becoming less and less people that can do what we do. So make sure you're, you're confident enough and confidence comes with patience. And, and that's one thing I learned, especially when it, it was a time in my life when I wanted to do a lot of custom work. And I realized that one of the most important things you can bring to the equation is patience. Have the patience 
and have the confidence that you can take the time to set up your saw exactly how it needs to be set up. Don't rush into your into that. Get to get all your tools dialed in and don't rush into getting to make have the confidence that you need to take the time to get yourself prepared to do this type of level of work. And that comes with one that comes with the confidence and then having the patience or the confidence to have that much patience. Because when you run up to a job site, the, the, you want to get out the saw and you want to start making, you want to start installing that floor right away, right? Probably getting paid by the square foot. So the, the, the tendency is want to jump in there, rack it out, boom, 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 and start going. But the guy that can stand back and look at the work from, you know, you know from a, a bit of, put some distance there and uh, walk the job, look at the layout and think, you know, think it through before he jumps into it, uh, pays off in the end. So. I think those also are very important. Uh, here's a story I think I would have told my 18-year-old self. Did you ever hear the um, the story about when President Kennedy visited NASA for one of the first times? No. So President Kennedy visits NASA, and as he's walking around, he sees a janitor, and he says to the janitor, "Hey, what's you know what do you do around here? What's your job?" And the janitor said, my job is to put a man on the moon. And I just love that. That's when I heard cool. that story, I'm like, that is so awesome. And, you know, I know everybody's like, oh, what the hell does that have to do with doing floors? But it has everything to do with doing floors. Whether you're scraping or vacuuming or, you know, the little tedious things that, that we just always don't, you know, we think is really a pain in the neck. Loading the truck back in edging all all that little stuff it's all for the greater good the more you know the more time you spend on those little things the better the job is going to look so i always loved that that kennedy story when the janitor said yeah my job is to put a man on the moon and we all have to think about it like that i would definitely want my 18 year old self to think about that story for a little bit yep yep i like your style um I would, uh, and this is a, this has been uh, my nemesis my whole life. Is uh, damn it, my manager's probably listening now, and he's going to go see. Yeah, I told you. Um, you, uh, I would have told myself to delegate more, and that is hard to do because that requires two things: that gives up You have to give up control, and you have to trust. And we had Lenny Hall on our show, and uh, and he talked about how important it was to delegate. And that hit home with me because, you know, I, at some point I thought I got to do everything. If it's going to be done right, I, I have to have my hands on it. But you have to trust your guys. At some point, you have to let them go. I remember the first time I, I, I let my brother run the big machine instead of edging. And uh, man, I mean, I was like a, a nervous, you know, mom with the, the, you know, <laughs> the kid going to the prom. I, I just could not stop every pass. I had to have my highs on them. And if he didn't pull up the, the, the handle just exactly like I would or whatever, I mean, it, it, every step he took was, you know, uh, my heart was in it. <laughs> I mean, uh, at some point, you got to let them find their way. And it's, it cracks me up because after I left my business and I gave my business to, to my two brothers, uh, I said before, it was like a death of the family to me. You know, I moved on. I was a sales rep. But, man, that, I built that with my blood, sweat, and tears, that business. And uh, when John first took it over, I was like, oh, man, what are they going to do without me? I'd come home and tell my wife, I go, Judy, I don't know what, what, what Doug and John are going to do. I mean, I, I worry so much about them, blah, blah, blah. And as it turned out, <laughs> he might have done better. <laughs> uh, they are uh, soaring like eagles. Yes, I, I, held his, I, I think I held us back. 
<laughs> they're doing fantastic and they didn't need me at, at all. They just took the ball. And here's the, there's the thing there. There's something that's in life. Opportunities are, are hard to come by, especially for a poor working kid. There's nothing worse in this world that can happen is that you, an opportunity comes your way and that you're not prepared for it. So uh, that to me is the biggest crime you can ever, they're so precious that it, when, it, when, you're, when the day comes and it's your opportunity and that you're not ready for that opportunity because you haven't prepared yourself, I think is one of the worst crimes there is. And um, so- It's um, like you were reading my notes. It's like yeah. you're reading my notes for this show. Yeah. 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 Because there's a couple of quotes that I would have told my 18 year old self because I'm 18 years old. So I can, I can't remember too much. You know what I mean? I got a lot going on in there. So maybe a couple of quotes might hit. And that quote that, that what you were just saying, um, I'll never forget the guy I heard it from Steve Seabaugh. You, you remember? Yeah, of course. One of the best. Steve? One of the, one of the best. One of the best. Yep. Okay, and man, I just loved his teaching style and everything. Yep. And yep. it was funny when you talked about a mentor, he always pops into my head. I used to love to watch how he trained, how comfortable he was, uh, how he just made it very comfortable for everybody there. And uh, he, he was great. But I remember he said this one day, somebody said, you're really lucky or something like that. He was talking about a job that he did. And the guy, one of the students said, man, are you lucky? And Steve looked at him and said, do you know what the definition of luck is? And I've said it on the show before. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. And that's, I think that's exactly what you were just talking about right there. Yeah, you're right. And another quote, I, I got to give this quote too, because I, I had a couple of quotes. And I got to give this one to Hollywood. This is Wayne Highlander's quote that he told me. Lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep because I had mentioned, hey, why don't you try this? And he turned around and that was the one that he laid on me, which I have laughed about ever since. But absolutely, that was always one of my favorites, too. So you mentioned Steve Seabaugh and I'm going to I'm going to say, have you ever met his brother, Stan? Never. One of the classiest I mean, just a super good guy, a great floor guy in his own right. Uh, really wonderful human being. And uh, one of these guys that you, you, you want to be around. Just great, great, great guys. Bo. There's a lot of talent runs in that family. Um, what I would also tell myself is learn how to upsell. I was, I was pretty good. You know, I could sell our jobs. And that wasn't the problem. I could sell our jobs. And, um, but what I would... If I had to change anything, I would look for ways to upsell in every single job. Because after I talked to an accountant one time and how a little bit on every job, just 10% more on every job or 5% more on every job or even three or 2% more on every job. If you can upsell that much at the end of the year, what a difference that makes to your bottom line. So uh, I think there's ways out there to upsell. Uh, and, and I would definitely, and, and listen, when I'm bidding job to, I, I, I'm very detailed in, in, in telling them what I do. And even little small things like running the uh, Tampico brush. I mean, you know, we do it. We do a step that nobody else does. We take a brush that goes down and, and actually takes all that dust out of the soft green of the wood and really gets that out of there and, and sets us up for a beautiful finished job. You know what I mean? All those steps that yes. you take that you feel you're doing above and beyond somebody else. Um, you know, all that's 
money and you deserve to, 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 to get that because you're adding value to the job and don't ever be afraid of that. I think one thing about floor guys, and, and it says what's kind of so great about the guys that are in this industry, guys that are in this industry are by and large really good, hardworking, honest people. Okay. And I think sometimes I talk to guys and they're almost afraid to make money in some cases, like, well, I can't charge them that because, you know, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm way more expensive. It doesn't really take me that much time. But I don't think EF Hutton thinks like that. I don't think Macy's thinks like that. I don't think, you know, the car dealership thinks like that. I think if we add value uh, for our customers, I think there's, there's no shame in asking for the money to, to get it. So I think upselling is something that I would have focused more on. And if I was a, a 18 year old kid, I, I would have, I would, I would have hit him with that too. What we're doing right here now, Rob, we're building a genius. We're building. So if there's an 18 year kid, 18 year old, 18 year old kid out there. We're now designing a genius. Okay. So one day when I'm 70 years old, this kid, this guy's going to walk up to me and goes, Hey, I tuned in this podcast on this day. And I did everything you said. And he's either going to punch me in the face or he's going to pat me on the back. I don't know which. You know what goes with that upselling? I, I agree with you. And Pauline once said to me, she goes, all you talk about at your schools and on the show, you're constantly saying upsell, upcharge, make more money. She goes, you sound greedy. I go, well, this is a hard job. I mean, yeah. it's hard work. What these guys do day in and day out is is hard. We deserve to get paid for it. So upcharging, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, like I said, if it sounds greedy, I apologize. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't think there's many people out there who's going to think we're, we're sounding greedy when we're talking about upcharging and charging more money. But you have to remember, too, something that goes with that that upcharge, okay? People won't remember what you said. They won't remember what you did. But people will remember how you made them feel. So if you can make that upcharge, but also make them feel good about what you're doing and who you are and what your business is going to do for them. And like I said, give them a good experience. The rest, of, now you've got a salesman for life. The rest is gravy. People will remember how you made them feel. So and the other thing, Rob, was, I don't know when the last car you bought, I'm, I'm assuming it was a Chevy Vega or something like that. But <laughs> do you remember how much you paid for it? You don't have to tell me, but the, the, like I got a, the last thing I bought was a truck. And I know within three or $4,000 what I paid for it. Does it matter to me now? No, it doesn't matter in the slightest now. I mean, who cares? I mean, I mean, a thousand dollars over a lifetime of a floor is nothing. It's pennies a day, right? So sure. uh, to be able to to upsell for our services and everything, and especially if you can justify and and uh, which brings me to my next my next thing is learn how to sell. Sell your services. Um, if you're you know if you do if you're doing above and beyond everything, and it, but if you're the only one that knows about it, then it's not going to do you much good. You need to put yourself out there and really, to me, explain it. Here's, here's my price, and I'm going to explain to you what, why I came to this price. And by the way, I never changed my price, by the way. I, that's one thing. is I, I didn't have to tell my 18-year-old self that. If I gave you my price, that's my price. I don't, I, I'm not, it's not negotiable. That's just my, me. That's, everybody else is different. Uh, I also don't break my price down for anybody. 
You know, they said, what, what, what are you guys making for an hour or whatever? This is none of your business. This is my price. None you of your know, damn business. What you I'm don't making, know, you, right? you don't know what I pay for workers comp. You don't know what my insurance is. You don't know what my overhead costs are. So what does that mean to you? That my price is my price. Uh, but anyhow. Don't just spot the trends. Seek the trends out. Those are the guys who really make great money in this business. And when I say seek the trends out, think of all the trends that we've seen since, you know, in the last 40 years, white floors, wire brushing, social media, dust containment, you know, all those different things. The people who got on board with all of that stuff first, they were the ones who made the money. I mean, uh, you know, think about the first guys with dust containment. Back in the 90s, you were shooting for that $2.75 a foot back in the 90s, right? Yeah. I remember when it first came out around here in upstate New York, guys were charging an extra dollar, an extra dollar a foot. I mean, you know, back then, an extra buck, that was that was like a 30 or 40% upcharge. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's amazing type money. Yeah. You can't really get that now for having dust containment. Really now, if you don't have dust containment, you're probably not even in the game anymore. Yeah, you, you have to have it. But it's the first guys who seek those trends out. Don't just wait for a trend. Spot it. Seek it out. Know what's coming down the pike. Have a little – you got to be able to look into the future because you you know people out there in this business who do that. You know, the people who jumped on social media right away, things like that. I mean, they made tons of money by spotting that before it hit. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you something that might seem like a small thing, Rob, but, uh, and this was my father-in-law that brought this to my attention first, was was moving from oil-based finish to water-based finish. Honest to God, because when if if I looked at, you know, if it took me three days of coating with oil and I could do it in two with water, and I've got say 50 jobs a year, that's 50 days a year that my guys are on another job making money uh, was an eye opener for me. And that is why I made myself learn to, to love water-based finish. And eventually we got to the point where we uh, never go back to oil. So moving from oil to water was, a, was a, not because necessarily I, I liked anything about water-based finish. It was, a, it was a business decision first. And then I went on, then I appreciated the benefits and what have you, and then uh, it would be you know, automatic. But uh, talking to my father-in-law, who, who was an accountant, uh, when he, he and he didn't know anything about the flooring business. You know, I told him on this one particular job, I had to use water-based finish. It was it was spec on the job, and he goes, "Well, what's that?" I mean, he was a construction worker before he got into accounting, and he didn't know anything about that. And I explained to him, and then when he but he caught on to the fact that it dries so fast, and then uh, he said, "Well, let's do the math." And then when I looked at it in that regard, I went, "Holy smokes!" And uh, realized we're leaving a lot of money on the table. So. I was lucky. We, my family started with the water-based craze, probably, I mean, when it was in experimental, I think the first time I saw a water-based approach finish for a bowling alley was like 1978 or 1979. So we caught, my family caught onto that really quick, that this water-based is definitely the way to go and it's just going to get better. So it it has been fun to watch the water-based come through the years, but just in a time savings alone, you know, especially in our business, you know, the sport business where 
every all of our work is done in the worst time of the year you know the the humid months and everything so i mean the dry times and it just kept our schedule on track looked great i, I mean i can't you're right i can't say enough about water-based products yeah and then i think my last two almost kind of go hand in hand one is i would have more fun along the way right that you enjoy the journey you know because uh you know, when you get to the end, you're fighting, 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 you, 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 you know, you, you know, all the stress and everything, you get to the end, you think, all right, well, I'm here now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would have been nice to enjoy the journey a little bit more on the way. I was very, uh, I mean, listen, I wouldn't change much about my, my career in this business. I, I love the flooring business. I loved every bit of it. I wouldn't change very little, but I think I would try to not stress as much, have more fun along the way and, and, and appreciate, especially for guys that are in a family business, appreciate the guys you work with and the gals you work with. And, and uh, maybe your wife that does the books or your girlfriend that helps you on that side of the business say thank you more often and, uh, and appreciate the people that you, that you surround yourself with and, and try to be positive because there's a, there's, you know, negativity is, uh, is, it just drags you down. So I, I think if you, uh, that I would have, I would have, uh, you know, I worked with my brothers and, and of course we love each other, but we damn sure fought like hell <laughs> at times. Uh, I really didn't realize how good they were until I got away from them and got around and see other people's work and what have you. And then I realized, wow, we're, we, we were a hell of a good shop. So I think be probably uh, appreciate the, the folks you surround yourself with, uh, I think, and, uh, and have more fun along the way. Well, that's definitely the way to pick the guys too. I mean, when you're hiring people, you know, the old saying, you know, pick, pick the people that bring out the best in you, not the stress in you. This yeah. job is tough enough. Yeah. Well, and you I know this job is tough enough. And I think, you know, this is a little bit off topic, but I think you have to ask yourself, uh, would you work for you? You know what I mean? If you're offering someone else a job, I mean, you, are you, if you put in the environment there where someone would want to come and work there, or is it going to be a grind? I think you need to challenge the guys. Oh my God, I would love to work. I would love to work for me. Yeah, I'm not so sure I want to work for that me. That would be the best guy. That's the that'd be the best guy I'd ever work for. Is work if I could work for me. Yeah, I don't know about working for you. Yeah, I I talked to your brothers before. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to work for me. <laughs> yeah, that could have been a little, a little tough. You needed to remember the the floor man quote: "Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection." You can catch excellence. There you go. You had trouble with that, didn't you? Well, listen. That's a Vince Lombardi. I had to get that one in. That's Vince Lombardi. I like that. But in my defense, I'm going to say this. Anybody who's ever worked for me has went on and done fantastic. I mean, look at your <laughs> Ah, listen, don't you laugh. My two brothers are killing it. Look at Jeremiah Strong. Turned out to be one hell of a good contractor, right? I mean, uh, every every single guy that's worked for me has ended up doing very well. Uh, uh, well, okay, I can't get into that one. <laughs> Except maybe one. <laughs> All right, Rob. So, so what we're trying to get out of this podcast is, as we said at the beginning, especially for maybe for someone starting out, or it's, it's never too early. It's never never too early to to to, to maybe change change gears, but. Um, if you get to your best, your most earning potential, the quickest, and get there and stay there longer. And by staying there longer, um, we talk about the power drive where you're off your knees. We talk about rolling out the 540 instead of being on your hands and knees, crawling around, cutting around door jams and stuff like that. I'll even throw in the edger dolly in there. 
when I as a young kid saw the edge of Dolly, I mean, we used to laugh at it. I mean, who would edge like that? But now I realize, you know, you're not using your back muscles. You're not using your knees. That can help also your longevity in your career. So getting there and staying there longer, you know, maybe to add seven more years of great earning potential to your career, man, that's, that's, that's huge. So that's pretty big, man. I, that's pretty deep. I'm surprised you came up with that. That's a good one. Hey, one last thing that I would, uh, I would have told my 18 year old self, ask Pauline out today. Don't, don't yeah. wait two years. What, you know, I met her when I was 18, thought she was way out of my league, took two years. I should have just asked her out right then and there. It would have been two extra years of bliss. <laughs> there you go. But I waited two years. Yeah. So well. I definitely told my 18 year old self that. Yeah. I oh, I, another thing I would have told my 18 year old self eight track tapes will be replaced. <laughs> I bought the last one, by the way. <laughs> Top, I swear I did. Top of the Hill, Daily City in San Francisco. Da actually, Daily City, right? The suburb of San Francisco. I bought a, I had a beautiful stepside truck. I mean, a stunning, beautiful stepside truck. Nice wheels, chrome, everything. And I brought it into there. And I just moved from, from Kentucky, which, you know, may be the reason why this happened. Uh, and I went in there and I said, yeah, I want to, I want to buy a nice stereo system for my truck. And um, he goes, all right. He took me in this room. And he had all these different cassette things and he goes oh, here's a nice one here blah 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 the pioneer speakers remember those and um and yeah. uh, i said uh i was actually looking for an eight track tape player he goes oh uh, no one uses eight track tape anymore everybody uses cassettes now i said can i tell you trying to swindle me maybe that's another rule trust people more so <laughs> i go i go no man i don't think so i'm looking for an eight track tape he goes man really he goes because everybody's kind of moved on to cassettes i go no I want to, he goes, all right, we'll get you what you want. So it was my truck being worked on in the black Trans Am. And I, I, I went away and I came back and I, I heard this, the music was incredible coming from this, from this, the shop. And I thought it was a Trans Am, but it, it turns out it was my truck. I went, oh my God, my nice. truck's my, yeah. Except in the middle of Highway to Hell, it would go, and it would, it would change songs. So when I was cruising down the strip, I'd have to turn it down. Everybody, then I realized, well, all right, everybody does have an A-track tape. I also everybody has a cassette. I also yes. I also Look, listen. I remember, I remember standing in Kmart with one of my best friends, 1980, 18 years old, and he was going to the cassette. He was going to put a cassette, and I'm like, Scott, what are you? Are you out of your mind? Nothing is going to replace the eight track. This is just a fad. Plus, you're going to have to buy all new music. Why would you do this? This is crazy. <laughs> well, listen, real quick. I also bought, and I know this is true, I bought the last VCR that had a wire hooked to it. You know how everything's remote? The one I bought, and I researched this. I went on like consumer magazines and everything, and I bought a VCR that actually had a wire to it, to the remote. So in their small little apartment, we were always tripping over it and, you know, knocking it out of the thing and, you know, <laughs> playing with it and stuff. So we are, we are definitely old. Yes, sir. We're old, man. All right. So we are old. We, uh, uh, this has been a, a kind of an interesting uh, uh, time talking to you about how your things kind of lined up with mine, Rob, on, uh, on what we would tell a young kid today. So, and by the way, our one year anniversary is coming up next. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. I, I, I heard that Rod got me a gift 
So uh, you know, my wife said, well, you better get him one too. So I'll walk in to go play. That's what I do. I buy gifts for people. Yeah. I can't help myself. Now you're I'm good. a giver. You're a good man. I'm a giver. All right. So please stay tuned for another episode. Oh, yeah.